Hey there, I'm Lindsay, and welcome back to Lean's Soapbox, where I discuss all things Marvel, everything from film, Disney Plus show releases, comics, and more. Make sure to give the podcast a follow, and I hope you enjoy. Hi guys, first of all, I wanted to wish you a happy holidays, or Merry Christmas if you celebrate. I am filming this before Christmas, but by the time I upload it, and by the time you guys probably listen to it, it will be Christmas or past Christmas. I don't have any huge holiday plans because my family's pretty small. It's just my mom, my dad, my siblings, and I. So usually we just have dinner and then if we have gifts to exchange, we'll do the gift exchange. My mom is the one who does the cooking and I believe she's gonna end up making pozole. As for me, I'm still not sure because since I'm vegan, I don't eat directly what they eat. So either I'll make my own version, my own vegan version of pozole, or I'll just end up making this like random side dish. Okay, but now let's actually get into the topic of today's episode. So originally I was going to do like a whole breakdown of all the seasons of the X-Men animated series, specifically during these few weeks since I have winter break. And I had that plan because the X-Men 97 series was set to release early 2024. However, on December 21st, Marvel released an article announcing that the X-Men 97 series is actually going to have prelude comics coming out. It's going to be a four issue series, but the thing is the first one releases on March 27th. So if these four issues are going to lead up to the release of the X-Men 97 series, that means we won't get the first episode until after March 27th. So that means I still have plenty of time to do the X-Men animated series season breakdown that I wanted to do. So I thought, oh, then maybe right now I should just focus on season two of What If because that is what is currently releasing and that is exactly what we are going to do. So let's get right into it. Season two of What If is going to have nine episodes. They're releasing daily from December 22nd all the way to December 30th. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss episodes one, two, and three. Before I start, I want to mention season one of What If. That season released in 2021, August 2021. And during that time, I was my senior year of high school. And honestly, I do not remember watching a single one. I think I would try and stay up until midnight, but there was just times where I couldn't because obviously I had school the next day. And there was times where like I would even forget with any Marvel television series, like I would never forget. But this is the first time the first show where like I actually would forget that there was a new episode releasing. Like I specifically remember one day, I think I was walking to like third period and all of a sudden like down the hallway, I was like, oh my gosh, today a new episode of What If released. And again, completely rare because with every other television series, like I was on it, I was always there at midnight. Like I always knew when the premiere night was. So I feel like that just shows a lot about like how interested I was in the show. Until this day, I don't really remember what happened, but I did watch every single episode. And I do remember liking the Ultron episode Episode, and then also the Marvel Zombies episode. But now let's move on to season two. So episode one is titled, What If Nebula Joined the Nova Corp? In this reality, Ronan ended up betraying Thanos and killing him before he could actually gather all of the Infinity Stones. The episode also explains that Gamora fell along with him, thus leaving Nebula all on her own. However, she was soon found by Nova Prime and she enlists in the Nova Corp. When Ronan decides to kind of take over Xandar, Nova Prime then decides to implement this planetary shield that is supposed to protect Xandar for the next 50 years. However, only five years into the isolation, the people of Xandar are kind of like already getting over it, like it's really getting to them and it's kind of turning them into like their worst version of themselves. The story really starts when Nebula finds that Yondu has been murdered in an alleyway. And the interesting thing that happens here is that she uses
uses an old recording of Yondu in order to summon his arrow, and this arrow then reveals this hologram of schematics that is essentially going to start her investigation. Looking for help, she goes to this casino, which basically introduces us to some of our favorite characters. We have Meek and then Korg, who are the bartenders, and then we have Howard the Duck, who is actually the owner of the casino. And the way that Howard is introduced is so funny because Nebula walks in and she's like, where's the big man? So for a moment, you're like, oh my gosh, who is the big man? Who is it? And then when Korg points her to the direction, it's revealed that it's Howard and it's so funny because he's literally just a duck. No, that was probably so offensive to Howard the duck. I'm so sorry. He's not just a duck. He's Howard the duck. So then Nebula shows Howard the hologram schematics, but it's actually Korg who reveals what the schematics hold. He lists numerous things. However, the most important is that they actually hold the source code for Xander's planetary shield. Thus, she concludes that someone is trying to obtain that information and it is her duty to now destroy them. Nebula then goes to break yon rog out of prison, which is basically the guy from Captain Marvel, in order to help her break into the mainframe to obtain the codes. And then what happens is that yon rog backstabs her, takes the codes, leaves her to die, then when Nebula escapes, she gets jumped by the Nova Corp, and it is revealed that Nova Prime is actually teamed up with Ronan. After barely escaping, she heads back to the casino where she meets Howard, Korg, and Groot. Oh, and also Meek, and then she recruits them in order to stop the Nova Corps. And the twist that is revealed is that the codes that Yonrog stole from Nebula were actually changed so that when they were used to open the planetary shield, it would eventually cause the shield to close right on Ronan's ship. So that was definitely clever, and I definitely did not see it coming. Oh, also, Nova Prime ended up dying, and that's basically what concluded the episode. Overall, I would say, made this episode interesting is the inclusion of Howard the Duck and then Korg because Nebula is a very serious character so then adding those characters who are a little more humorous, a little not so serious, it definitely balances it out. Nebula is a really cool character and again very serious so I would have appreciated seeing like an episode based on her that was maybe a little more lighthearted because I feel like she has been through so much. I feel like it would have been interesting to see that change of scenery, you know? Like there's a scene in the episode where like they're literally jumping her and they're just attacking her and it just looks so brutal and then we just have Karen Gillan just like screaming, which by the way, she does an excellent job at the voice work. But it's just like, haven't we had enough of Nebula just being in like torture and pain? Like I think back to Infinity War or maybe it's Endgame where like we have the flashback of Thanos literally experimenting on her or like just torturing her. Wait, no, it's not a flashback. It's literally happening in present time. And then Gamora is present. Oh my gosh, no, that is horrible. That's such a sad scene. So you see what I mean that like I wish we would have just gotten like a lighthearted episode. But now moving on to episode two, which is titled What is if Peter Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes. And in this universe, it is explained that Yondu actually did hand Peter over to his father, Ego. Because remember, originally Yondu did not give Peter over and instead kept him for himself. And something really sad happens immediately because the first thing Ego does is take Peter's Walkman away from him, which is the one thing that still kept him connected to his mom who had just passed away. Ego then shares his bizarre plan to kind of expand himself across multiple planets of the universe, one of those being planet Earth. It's also important to know that this was actually his exact same plan from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, except in this circumstance, obviously Peter is younger. So when Peter Quill arrives to planet Earth to help carry out his father's plan, we have the Avengers assemble. However, the Avengers are quite different in this circumstance because it is 1988. So in this lineup, we have Hank Pym, Black Panther, who is T'Chaka, T'Challa's father, Bill Foster, Wendy Lawson, Winter Soldier, Thor, and then they have the help of Peggy Carter and Howard Stark. This lineup is quite interesting because first of 
all, Hank Pym and Howard Stark, like they don't, they have like beef with each other. They're bitter towards each other and they just can't stand each other, yet they're forced to like come together in the circumstance and fight together. Then we have Black Panther, which is interesting because Wakanda hasn't been revealed to the world yet, but he's become involved just because of how big the threat is, which is the same reason why the Soviet Union sent the Winter Soldier to help. And when Thor arrives, there's just like a streak of lightning. So for a moment, I thought it was going to be Odin because you know how it's like 1988, but when the lightning clears off, it's obviously Thor. And I was like, oh wait, that does make sense because Thor is hundreds of years old, so he would be around by then. And Thor arriving is actually what enables the team to capture Peter Quill because the lightning from when Thor arrived is what pushed Peter to the floor. And then obviously the team locks Peter up, which sounds kind of sad because he's literally just a preteen, but they lock him up in actually the same cage that they locked Loki in in the Avengers film. However, this capture doesn't last long because little preteen Hope Van Dyne ends up discovering Peter Quill. And since both of them had just recently lost their mothers, that's what they end up bonding over with. And then that's also what causes Hope to help him escape. It's so sweet and genuine and so cool how these two characters who have basically never interacted before in the MCU are now being brought together at a young age and are connecting over this one thing that both of them dealt with. Especially knowing that, for example, in Hope's case, after Janet died, Hank kind of just left her to be on her own because that's the way that Hank kind of was dealing with his grief. So in this universe, Hope having the opportunity to actually talk about her mother's death to someone else, someone who is literally her age, I feel could make such a significant difference. But okay, so now moving on, they basically end up realizing that the only way to take down Ego is to have Peter go up against him. So in order to do that, Hank decides to have like a one-on-one -on -one with Peter and Peter opens up about how he feels about losing his mother. And Hank takes this opportunity to really sympathize with Peter because just like Peter, he also lost someone who was very close to him. And honestly, I was very impressed by this because obviously in the main timeline, like we discussed earlier, he didn't have the best way of grieving, especially considering he had a seven-year-old girl. So I like how in this universe, we're able to see this version of Hank who is going to deal with his grief differently and potentially not damage the relationship he has with his daughter. I did enjoy this episode more than the first episode because it was just so interesting to see these different characters from different films like Ant-Man, Captain Marvel, Black Panther come together as a team in the 1980s. Also, the unexpected bonding between Peter, Hope, and Hank was so beautiful and I thought it was so clever. And having Bucky, Peggy, and Howard all in the same episode gave me like a sense of nostalgia. It just reminded me of like the older films, specifically Winter Soldier. I love that movie so much. It is so good. Oh, also in this episode, Howard was able to take Bucky out of the brainwash for I don't even know how long, which was weird because it was only a few words, but okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Ooh, another important thing that was mentioned or like revealed is that T'Chaka's father was actually the one who gifted the vibranium in order to make Cap Shield. So I really like moments like this in the show where like, although it is a hypothetical universe, it still uses moments to kind of explain certain gaps in our main time. Line. Okay, so now moving on to episode three, which is titled, What If Happy Hogan Saved Christmas? Now, this episode, I believe, is so far my favorite. However, I might just be biased because I just love, like, Christmas in general very much, and then, like, adding Marvel, which is something that I also love. It's just, like, the best of both worlds for me, you know? Also, it's interesting to see how, like, a few years ago, Iron Man 3 was, like, the only piece of media, Marvel media, that was, like, Christmas-themed, but now we have a few more options. Like, we do have Iron Man 3, but then we also have have Hawkeye, we have the Guardians holiday special, and then we have technically also No Way Home, and then also this What If episode. So from my understanding of this episode, it doesn't take the direction of like, oh, this person made a singular choice that like had drastic effects. Instead, it takes us through 
to a specific story at the Avengers Tower during the holiday season? Or maybe it's more just like, what if Justin Hammer spent a little too much time dedicated to like breaking himself out of prison or something like that? I guess you could put it that way too. But I'm not really sure like what the writer is like, what the intent is. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? I don't know. But essentially what happens in this episode is that Happy Hogan is in charge of like pulling off this like Avengers holiday party. And he actually has the help of Darcy Lewis, who is there receiving college credit, which I think is so cool because imagine having Stark Industries on your resume. Like if you were applying to a job, I feel like one, you could immediately get accepted or immediately get rejected depending on like the person's stance on like superheroes and just like Tony Stark in general, you know? So basically what happens is that it is explained that Justin Hammer is essentially here to steal Christmas. He does spend a little too much time, like I mentioned earlier, dedicating his time to like trying to figure out how to escape prison. He succeeds and then ends up arriving at the Avengers Tower where he takes over the security system, meaning that he also takes control of the Iron Man sentries that Tony Stark has. After doing this, it is revealed that Justin Hammer's great plan is to take Hulk's blood in order to make himself a superhero, which is kind of crazy because I feel like this whole obsession over the Avengers blood, I feel like we've heard it multiple times. We've seen it several times and it's like, how have people not like caught on that nothing good ever comes from like, trying to steal the Avengers blood and like injecting it into yourself. Wait, that literally just reminded me how like in Secret Invasion, Nick Fury literally had like a little jar of like every single Avengers blood from Endgame's final battle. Like that idea was like so crazy to me, but I feel like it would be such a Nick Fury thing to do. But like the fact that like, just like thinking about that, like it just makes me uncomfortable. And I just, I can't wait until, well, I know how like the Marvels kind of ignored the fact that like Secret Invasion happened, but I can't wait until Carol Danvers finds out that Nick Fury did that or just just like any of the Avengers. Like, I really think that's going to be an interesting circumstance. Okay, but moving on. So what ends up happening is that when Happy is trying to protect the vial of blood, he accidentally injects himself with it. This then allows him to be able to turn into his own version of Hulk. He's like purple and like cute looking. I was going to say funny looking, but I don't want to be mean. But I guess it's kind of inevitable because if you inject yourself with Bruce Banner's blood, like it's a guarantee you're not going to come out looking exactly like a carbon copy of Hulk. Also, there's a point where like Happy literally calls the Avengers, but all of them are like busy doing a variety of different things. Like for example, with Tony and Cap, I love how all the soccer moms were like all over Steve Rogers. I thought that was so cute. And then we have Natasha who like was in the middle of like a mission and she was dressed as a ballerina and I thought she looked so adorable as well. And the best one I think was the one that had Thor and then Clint Barton and they were fighting over the last Iron Man figure, I believe. Oh wait, no, it was um it was Bruce Banner and Clint Barton. And then how in the back you could see that the Hawkeye figure was like 25% off or something and then the Iron Man one was obviously sold out. I thought that was hilarious. But of course, by the end, Happy Hogan was able to take down Justin Hammer all by himself and with the help of his little mutation, thanks to the Bruce Banner blood. And again, I really enjoyed this episode. Like one, it was really funny. Two, it had the OG Avengers, where I think that in itself is just like magical. And it featured Justin Hammer, which I think is one of the funniest MCU villains like ever. I honestly think that this episode might be the one what if episode that I will actually rewatch because apart from the episode being really funny, they were also able to translate Justin Hammer perfectly onto cartoon and having these little moments with the OG Avengers was just so satisfying. Oh, also if you stay until the end of the credits, there's this like part where like Darcy Lewis is singing and it's so funny. Okay, and I think that's the end of this episode. Right now, I'm actually gonna go and have like a little Christmas celebration with my family. But to conclude, I really do think that this is my favorite episode so far. I think my second favorite would be the second episode and the then my, you know, the bottom one would be episode one. For next week's episode, I am going to touch on episodes four, five, and six. And the following week, I'll do seven, eight, and nine. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lean Soapbox, and I also hope you're enjoying season two of What If. Be sure to leave your thoughts and comments, follow the podcast to keep up with episodes, and be sure to follow my other socials at Lean Soapbox to stay in touch. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, and I hope to catch you next time. Bye!